going to get into my sermon in a moment here, uh, but those of you joining us online or in our chapels, it's good to be together with you. Start out with a little family talk before I get into my message on loneliness today. A little family talk. I recently announced that we are starting a third campus in Fountain Hills. Generation Church is coming to Fountain Hills. Come on, you can be more excited than that. Yep. Now we're targeting September 12th for our grand opening. I say targeting because we're doing a lot of renovations and you know how that goes. God has orchestrated a crazy sequence of events. There was a church in Fountain Hills called Fountain Hills Christian Center, a sweet group of believers, and they were kind of uh, struggling to figure out what was next for their church. And they came to me and invited me to come talk to their board, and we began to talk about this possibility. They were interested in becoming Generation Church. It's a crazy opportunity. Uh, You have a community here where less than 8% of the community goes to church. That means less than 8% of people have a vibrant, healthy relationship with Jesus because you can't have a healthy relationship with Jesus disconnected from his church. Amen? Amen. Some people don't want to hear that, but it's true. And God gave me a a vision for our church many years ago that uh, we would eventually start to grow and launch more campuses across the valley. Why? Why do you want to do that, Pastor Ryan? Are you trying to be like a McDonald's franchiser or something? You're like, no, that's not it. It's that there are a lot of good churches around the valley, but there are so many more people who don't know Jesus Christ. Our goal is to reach people. And the thing is, Generation Church has a culture that is special. This church has a culture that is worth replicating. Some of you are so new to this church, you don't even realize this yet. You've probably never been in a church as healthy as this church, many of you. Many of you, not all of you. But but a lot of people, they don't even realize when they first come to this church how healthy and loving it is. It's not until like a year or two in they realize like, oh, there's really nothing shady going on here. Like, no. Everyone's actually really loving. It's, it's crazy. I didn't believe it at first, but, but the more I learn and the more I get to know people, the more I realize how healthy it is. Yeah. Isn't that good to know? There's no, there's no secrets or anything like that. This church has a culture worth replicating, so we are going to, by God's grace, replicate this around the valley. And this new opportunity means that we need you to step up, all of you. First, there's different ways you can do this. First, you could pray. Would you just pray with us for Fountain Hills, this community, that are people there who need Jesus, and we know that God's going to use your church to reach them. I'm asking you to pray with us. Second, uh, you can give. We give through Kingdom Builders, and that's one of the ways that we expand and we, we reach more people. We give our regular tithes and offerings, which funds the operations of our church, and because we have healthy finances at our church and we live on less than we bring in, when this opportunity came, it meant that I could say, yes, we're going to do that and not have to worry about the budget. But we're going to be doing about $400,000 of renovations at this location to bring it up to Generation Church standards and the kids ministry space and the worship center, make it really welcoming and inviting. This church had about $500,000 of debt, but it was a property worth over $3 million dollars. So it's an amazing situation. Some of you might think, that's so much money. It's actually not a lot of money to launch a new campus. And you have to realize this. How much is a human soul worth? If even one person in this community accepts Jesus, it's worth it. But it's not going to be just one. 
It's going to be hundreds of people. So I think that God might lead some of you to say, I want to help pay for that. I'm going to give. I'm going to give to this. And then third, I need some of you to pray about joining the Fountain Hills launch team. The launch team. And today there are sign-up forms in the room. You can go to the app and go down to the bottom, and you can click the sign-up form there. You can go to our church website and sign up. But I'm going to ask you to fill out that sign-up form and let us know if you're interested in joining the launch team. They're on the chairs around the room where you're at today. Uh, Really, I want you to understand this. Um, Even if you're not serving yet or if you are, you could still consider joining the launch team. It's about a 25 to 27-minute drive from Mesa, depending on how fast you drive. And it's about 30 uh, minutes from, 30 minutes or so from Ahwatukee, South Mountain Campus, Uh, maybe closer for some of you if you live closer that way. And we need you to come and help us launch this ministry. Uh, we need people in Mesa, especially, to help us get this going. There are not even close to enough people at that existing church to help us get that ministry started. So we need to take people from Mesa, and it needs to be like an organ transplant. We need to transplant our healthy church culture to this community until it takes and gets going and becomes self-sustaining. Does that make sense? So this could look different for you depending on your situation. If God starts leading you to do this, some of you, um, I want to just ask you to consider like going to this campus and serving for the next six months. Just serve for the next six months. Be a part of it. Uh, They're going to start out with one service at 1030 initially, same high-quality worship, same preaching, uh, same great kids ministry. It'll be excellent. And then later when we get enough momentum going, we'll launch another service, probably we'll launch a chapel service in that community. Uh, So you might be able to go and serve every week for the next six months, or maybe you're like, I can't go every week, but maybe you could go every other week or three out of four weeks or even once a month and serve. Maybe you're like, I don't have time to serve there. I could just barely get to church as it is. You could still help us by going and attending there. You could provide the ministry of warm bodies. Just just getting people in the room helps create a, a critical mass. And what you want is that when people show up to that campus that it feels like us. So just you being there, loving people, worshiping, amening, smiling, like that's going to help it feel like Generation Church. Uh, and, and if you go there and serve in the morning, you'd even have the option to come and attend church here at night if you want to. Um, so I think there's a lot of different ways you could do this. Uh, and, and some of you, you're like, man, I don't know if that's, if that's right for me. Here's how you know you might be this kind of person. One, it might just be God speaks to you right now, and he's just like, you, that's you. Uh, but if you're like a trailblazer, some of you, you, you'd rather be a part of starting something new than jumping into something that's already going. Some of you have that kind of uh, personality. Some of you, you want to feel needed. That's not a bad thing, right? But, and, and I'll be honest, we need you more there than we do here. Some of you are whatever it takes kind of people. Some of you are like, Pastor Ryan, whatever you need, I got you, whatever you need. Like, well, we need your help with this, okay? Um, Some of you enjoy smaller venues. Now, I I don't think like the Mesa campus is humongous, but it is going to get bigger, and it's going to grow in the the months to come, especially before we launch or finish our new building. Some of you told me, like, I I grew up in a small church, Pastor Ryan. Like, this feels crazy to me. Uh, And you might actually like being in a smaller venue more. Not only that, but until that new building is done, over the next seven or eight months, uh, Mesa is going to get 
more crowded. Amen? That's a good problem. But you can help us with that problem by creating space for guests. Uh, and that's, that's one thing to think about. Also, if you're someone that you just have like a heart for lost people and you want to see lost people get saved, this is a huge opportunity to reach lost people. People in Fountain Hills, uh, they are struggling with the same things we're struggling with. Divorce, substance abuse, f- uh, finding purpose. They need Jesus, and you could be a part. And one of, launching a new campus in a new community like this is one of the best ways to reach people. And then I want to say this lastly. If you have a, just a heart, a passion for kids... Man, this could be the right thing for you. This church has not had kids ministry at all for 10 years. And there are really not any churches in this community that are like specifically going after young families and kids. So I think we're going to be that church. Amen. I I think we're going to be the church. Some kid in that community never even knew he could like church. And we want to reach them while they're young, amen? We want to come in with junior high ministry and youth ministry and kids ministry because we know that after 18, the statistics say you're less likely to accept Jesus. So we want to come in while they're young, and and we want to help prevent them from going through life without Jesus by introducing them to Jesus at a young age. So if you're interested in hearing more about this, we're going to have interest meetings coming up. Uh, Sign up the form you got on the app, on the website, and then um, consider being a part of that uh, launch team. It's going to be really good. I know Jesus is building his church, and he's going to provide the people and the resources so we can do that. Amen? Amen. Yes. And I just want to say this before I move on. Whenever I talk about something like this, one of the things I think about as a pastor is I don't ever want you to feel like I'm trying to guilt trip you into something or manipulate you into it or force you into it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to balance this, this trying to like persuade you and challenge you thing, but ultimately I want you to be led by the Holy Spirit so that you know I'm not doing this for Pastor Ryan. I'm doing this for Jesus, amen? And it's not out of guilt, uh, but it's out of a, a passion. I want to be obedient to what God is calling me to do. So if you're like, I'm not called to do that, I'm not going to look at you and judge you, right? You don't have to feel awkward around me, like, I'm sorry, I'm not doing Fountain Hills. No, I'm not going to think that at all. I want you to do what God leads you to do. Are we tracking that? Amen. Okay. So I'm preaching today a message titled, I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. Truthfully, loneliness for people isn't a state of being as much as it is a feeling. You don't have to be alone to be lonely. You can be surrounded by people and have lots of good company without ever having true intimacy. That's why you have a lot of connections with people, but all you ever have is shallow conversations. Oh, the weather today. Oh, too bad about the suns. Right? Man, can you believe what the news headlines? You know, those are shallow conversations does not create intimacy and relationship. You can have a lot of connections and and, uh, associates at work without ever really uh, getting rid of those feelings of loneliness. Some people, they go to church, and they're surrounded by people in church, but they never feel like they're a part of the church family. So where does loneliness come from? In Genesis 126, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. If you read that, you're like, what? Then you're, you're not alone. Who is us? 
Who is us? Who is our likeness? Who's talking here? It's God. God is talking. What people need to understand is the doctrine of the Trinity. I want to help you understand the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, Here's a little helpful tool, right? The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all God. Okay, This is a little doctrine, quick little lesson right now. You need to understand this. And if you're like, I don't really understand it, then you're not alone as well. You're like, Pastor Ryan, help me understand that. I can't, right? He's God. It's really hard for us to wrap our minds around, but, but still, it's true, and it's good for us to try to understand this. What it means is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed eternally in relationship with themselves. So therefore, God is relationship. And we are created in his image and likeness, and we are designed for relationship. Matthew eleven twenty seven says this, No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You guys remember in the 90s, Bo Jackson releases autobiography, um, an athlete. It was called Bo Knows Bo. You guys remember that? Well, God has his book, and God knows God. That's what it's telling us right here. God knows God. The Father and the Son, they know each other. God exists in relationship with God and designed us to live in relationship with God as well. So what that means is that God didn't create you because he needed you to love him. He created you because he wanted to love you. It pleased him to share his goodness with you. Think about like when a little baby is born. When a little baby is born, who's that baby going to bond with first? Parents, right? Mom, dad. The parents are who provide safety and comfort and nourishment. Parents are the closest relationship. And as that baby grows up and gets a little older, a little bit more independent, then she's ready to go out and make friends but not until, you know, good relationship with parents, that's, that's vital. A lot of people, they become Christians, and they start looking for connection and intimacy with other Christians. But they skip developing a close intimacy and relationship with God. And then they wonder why they're always disappointed in the people around them at church and their pastors. Because they're expecting their pastors and their friends and life groups to do what only God can do for them. you got to get close to God first before you can have healthy relationship with other people. Why do we struggle with loneliness? It's because, like we said last week, sin entered the world through our rebellion against God, and it damaged, it broke our relationship with him. That's why most people experience deep loneliness, because we're cut off from our most important relationship. So we spend our lives searching for friends and trying to impress people and pretending to be who we're not, hoping to gain companionship, but we always end up dissatisfied because we're really longing for what only God can provide. Because people let you down, don't they? I mean, you could swim in the tears of junior high girls crying themselves to sleep. I can't believe my boyfriend broke up with me. (laughs) Right? Like... Maybe you were rejected at one point, and now insecurity is rooted deep in your heart. And so you decided, well, if I just reject other people before they reject me, then I won't be hurt. That leaves you lonely. 
Maybe you were abandoned by someone that you should have been able to count on, and now you just assume everyone will abandon you, so you think it'll be easier if you just keep them at arm's length. I've been through that kind of season where I just got so sick of people leaving me, I decided I'm not going to let anyone else get close to me. The problem is if no one can get close to me, then I'm going to become lonely, and I cannot love people properly. In order to cure loneliness, you have to know this, that God loves you perfectly and faithfully. Amen? Amen. Even the best friends, most loyal co-workers, closest family members, they can and likely will eventually leave you, either in life or in death. But God will never leave you. Hebrews 13, 5 says, For God himself said, I will never leave you or abandon you. I have some friends that go back to when I was eight years old, but most friends come and go. That's why I laugh. You know, high schoolers signing each other's yearbooks like, friends are friends forever. No, you're not. (laughs) You're going to leave. Sadly, man, some of you have even been abandoned by spouses who promised they would never leave you. Even a faithful spouse might eventually be parted by death, but God will stay by your side. Relationship with God, I want you to understand this. Relationship with God is not a consolation prize for when other people let you down. He's actually the ultimate prize. He brought you into this world and he's gonna see you out of this world and into heaven. Here's why this is so important to understand, because you'll be able to enjoy other people more when you stop trying to cling to people. Isn't it crazy how repulsive a clingy person is, right? That person starts blowing you up and gets the clingy, and you're like, whoa, whoa. I I liked you until you got creepy (laughs) like this. But but here's the thing. Some of you do this. You You get clingy. Because you're so afraid that that friends and people, a boyfriend will leave you, a mentor, somebody will leave you. And it pushes people away. But when you understand that God is clinging to you, you'll be able to relax your grip on other people. And when you live your life open-handed with other people, your hands will always be full. In John 10, it says, my sheep, Jesus says this, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hands. That means you're in the father's hands. God, the father, God, the son, they're holding on to you. They're clinging to you. No one can take that relationship from you. When you're afraid of losing relationships with people, you tend to cling on to them, and and you can just choke that relationship to death, and insecurity creeps in. But when you're you're open-handed, you can enjoy people, and you'll always have relationships. Often we feel lonely, like, you know, nobody gets me. No one understands what I'm going through. Just like it says, you know, the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father, we're created in His image and we have a desire intrinsically to be known. We want to be known. This is why some people are so bad at making conversation. I have a distant family member. He'll call me up. 
I'll be like, hey, how's it going, man? He'll be like, oh, you're not going to believe the week I'm having. It's crazy. It's like storming out here. My dog's been barking all night. My boss has been giving me problems. You know, my neighbor said this, and I was like, I can't believe she said this. And I've been starting to think about my career choice and and considering, like, should I go back to school or should I stay where I am? Okay, great. Great talking to you. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. And you're like, whoa. You know, never asks how I'm doing. But that's okay. That's just... It's just who he is. Kind of accepted it, right? This is what some of you do. Some of you do this. You, you walk up to people. You walk into a room. And if people are standing around, right, you'll start talking about where you're from and what you do and what you've been through and what you like and what you think about the world. And you don't let anyone else get in a word. And then you walk away and you think, man, that was a great conversation. I had an amazing time with those guys. And then you're like, how come nobody invites me to hang out? It's because you only talk about yourself. Some of you feel like you have to tell the whole world everything you think on social media. And you think it's because you're opinionated, but it's actually because you're lonely and you want to feel known. This is why humans like to be around other people like themselves. It's not because we actually care that much about what hometown you're from or ethnicity or culture. It's because we think if I'm around people who are like me, who look like me, who talk like me, who are from the same place as me, then they'll probably have an easier time understanding me. And we all desperately need to feel like people know us and understand us. But I want you to understand this. God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what you're thinking before you do. Sometimes I'll tell Amy, you know what I was thinking the other day? And she'll be like, yeah, totally. I completely agree. And I'm like, wait, I didn't didn't even say what I was thinking yet. She's like, yeah, but I know exactly how you think. It's like, yeah, it's a great conversation. (laughs) You've been around those older couples. They've been married for 40 years. They just like complete each other's sentences. God knows you better than you know Yourself In Psalm 139, it says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. God is the one who knows you, and he understands you perfectly. In fact, one thing he can do for you is help you understand yourself even better. You ever have like a bad reaction to a situation, and you're like, man, where did that even come from? That happened to me you know, a little while ago. I was, I was out and about, and this guy started, like, sassing off to me. He was, like, being all smart-alecky. And, like, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit of, like, a, I'm barely saved sometimes. And, <laughs> you know, normally I'd just be like, oh, you know, whatever, walk away. But I got mad. Like, it just rose up in me. I got mad. I was like, you know what? And my little brother was there. He's like, stop, Ryan. You're a pastor. You're a pastor. Come on. Like, and I walked away, and I was like, dang, where did that come from? That was that was weird. And you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? He said, uh, I'll tell you what happened there. You got mad because you're actually sad and you haven't been dealing with it. But if you would deal with it, you'd feel a lot better instead of letting that sadness come out in all kinds of unhealthy ways. You're right. I'm like, you're right. How how helpful is it that God knows you enough to give you help in times you didn't even know you needed it? God knows you enough to give you good stuff that you didn't even realize you needed. 
Like, you know when you're a kid and you're thinking about, like, I'm going to get married someday, and you make a list of all the things that you want in a spouse, right? There's some stuff that I thought I wanted in a spouse I did not even want. But I didn't know. Like, I didn't know because I was stupid. But God knew exactly what I needed so well. He knew me. He gave me the perfect wife for me. She's got character traits and things. Like, I didn't even, I didn't even think to, to, to look for. Man, sometimes I'm just like, God, you knew me so well. You gave me the perfect wife. Once you know that you are fully known by God, You'll be able to trust him to lead you into situations, even when you don't understand really well what's, what's going on. You'll be like, well, God, you know what's best for me, so I'm going to trust you to lead me. I'm going to follow you. Once you know that you are fully known by God, you can be a better friend to other people. Instead of having to tell other people what you think about everything, how you're feeling all the time, you'll be able to just sit there and let other people share about how they're feeling. You realize this, when you listen to someone, you're giving them the gift of being known. When someone starts telling you a story and you interrupt them and you're like, oh yeah, well th- that reminds me of one time when something happened to me, right? Like, that, that's us wanting to feel known. But when, when, when you know that God knows you, you can rest in that. And, and when your friend's telling you a story, you can say, and then what happened? How did that make you feel? And, and you can be a better friend to other people. You're giving them the gift of being known. That's one of the ways you can show love. But you won't do that if you're desperate to feel known yourself. So, hey, Generation Church, this is my homework for you this week. It is a challenge I want to give you. Seek to outdo one another in this, in asking questions and conversation. Seek to talk less than the person who you're in conversation with. Hear me, right? When you let a friend at work or a neighbor or a stranger or someone in your life group talk about themselves and you ask them questions like, well, why did you do that? Or how did that feel? Or where did you come from? Or how did you get to that point, right? When you listen like that, you're going to make them feel loved by allowing them to feel known. And then what's going to happen is people will like you. And you'll have a lot of friends, and it'll be a lot easier to not get lonely. It's a real practical help today. This is good, right? I think we all go through lonely seasons. Even as Christians, we know that we have access to God and that the Holy Spirit is living with us, and yet sometimes we feel alone. And so here's the thing. Loneliness will either sink you or strengthen you. Loneliness can be a really dangerous feeling because if you feel this way long enough, You can start to become tempted to get into all kinds of unhealthy and sinful things trying to get rid of the loneliness, trying to make those feelings go away. Sometimes loneliness tempts us to make stupid choices because we're afraid of being lonely or feeling lonely again. Some people, that's why they get into pornography. Because they're searching for that sense of, of intimacy. But you cannot get intimacy through a computer screen, stranger taking their clothes off. This is why some people you hang out with, with friends who are actually bad influences on you. You know they are, but you keep hanging out with them anyway because you're afraid 
that if you step away from that relationship, you'll be lonely. So some of you are dating someone who's not even a Christian, or maybe they came to church with you one time, and so you're like, well, hopefully it works out. That's what the Bible means when it talks about being unequally yoked. It means they're not on the same page as you, and it's not going to become a healthy relationship for you. And so you hear your pastor saying, like, that's not good, but inside you have this fear that says, but if I break up with them, I'll be alone. You're afraid of being lonely. Loneliness will either sink you or strengthen you depending on who you turn to. Depends on what you do with it. In Psalm 25, David said, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. He was lonely the way that we all feel lonely. He could have handled it different ways. He could have gone to a brothel and had a cheap hookup. He could have thrown a lamb on the barbecue and invited some neighbors over to to hang out. But instead, he turned to God and he said, God, help me. I'm lonely. I need you. Some of you are lonely right now. And you can let it drive you to depression or to devotion. You can pursue cheap sex with strangers through a number of apps as a substitute for intimacy, or you can discover a richer relationship with Christ. You can keep hanging out with toxic influences And other bros, or you can discover what the Bible means when it says that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. Amen. See, and if you're not lonely now, there's probably going to be a day that comes when you might feel that way. It's always hard to be lonely, but I want you to understand this. It's kind of a challenging thought. It's not always bad to be lonely. Not every lonely season is a curse from the devil. It could be a catalyst meant to drive you closer to God. It could be that in some instances, God leads you into a lonely place to meet you there. It says in Luke 5 about Jesus, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In other words, he had tons of people who wanted to be around him. His disciples would have loved to sit around the campfire and chat all night with him. But Jesus decided, no, sometimes I'm going to get away from all these people. I'm going to be by myself and pray. He intentionally got away from people so he could get close to God. Christians used to practice a spiritual discipline called solitude intentionally separating themselves from people in order to get closer to God. But that is hard for us to do today. It's hard to be away from people in silence and not be tempted to open up social media and see what everyone else is up to. Do you realize that for some of you, the fear of loneliness could be contributing to your loneliness? See, because too often we waste opportunities to be with God and listen to his voice and talk to him. Because here's what happens. Some of you think of prayer as this ritualistic religious process, and you're like trying to impress God with, with flowery language, and that's why you end up feeling intimidated to talk to him. That's why some of you always have to turn a television on or music in the background. You can't handle silence. What if you just accepted quiet as an opportunity to be with him? I want to be that guy, honestly, who walks around looking crazy like he's talking to himself. Like just walking through the store just like, you know, and I was like, 
And people will be like, oh, I think that guy's on drugs. No, I'm just talking to Jesus, right? I want to just talk to him when I'm with him, when I'm, when I'm not with other people. I want to get with him. Um, I want to talk to him. God's always ready to listen to you, and he's ready to talk to you and reveal himself to you. Uh, he'll call things out in you that you didn't even know were there. He's going to reveal himself to you when you spend time with him listening. He wants to be known by you because the more you realize who he is, the more you'll understand your purpose and who you were created to be. Jesus would sneak away on purpose, and it could be that God has led some of you to a season of loneliness for a purpose, to get close to God. Not everyone, but maybe someone here today, maybe someone listening to this message today, you found all your self-worth and the approval of other people, and you're constantly wondering, do people like me? Do people respect me? Uh, do people think I'm pretty? Are people impressed with my accomplishments? And, and God loves you so much. Think about it. What if he has led you into a season of loneliness so that you would stop for a minute and let him tell you that he likes you, that he approves of you, that he is pleased with you? And he loves to watch you succeed. So if you're lonely today, call out to God, your heavenly father, and say, turn to me and be gracious to me. I'm lonely. I need you. This is the key to overcoming loneliness and experiencing intimacy with God. This is something you can only have as a Christian, honestly. Non-Christians cannot experience this. But the Lord, remember, he knows us better than, than we know ourselves he also said it's important for us to have relationship with other people. He knows what's best for us, amen? He said it's good for us to have relationship with other people as well. In Genesis 2, 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. This is how you know marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman. Not only did God say that, but he also made it so that they fit together. All the married couple said, hey. <laughs> All the single people said, someday. <laughs> See, the first marriage was not about sex. It was not even about procreation, but mankind's need for relational intimacy with other people. Now, let me just say this. To anyone who is married and your marriage lacks intimacy, that's possible for that to happen. Just don't give up on that. Don't just give up on that and think the answer is to just start over with someone else. That's not the way God designed marriage to work. There will be seasons when you don't feel as close to each other. And in that season, you can drift apart. You can start talking to some skank who slipped into your DMs, some home wrecker. Or you can get marriage counseling and you can let God bring you closer together. I'm just telling it like it is. The cure for loneliness is not rampant sexuality, it's intimacy. And you need intimacy with other human beings. This is why you need to be a part of a local church, not just watching some pastor online or on TV. You need to be in the midst of a body of believers so that you can benefit from and obey the one another commands of Scripture. The phrase one another is derived from the Greek word alelone. Alelon, it appears a hundred times in the New Testament. Alelon means this, one another, mutually, 
or reciprocally. So I thought, you cannot allay loan alone. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> So God, <laughs> pastor jokes, uh, you, God gives us specific commands for how we should love one another. And this is the basis for how we should live in Christian community. And this really impacts our witness to the world. So this is what we do. The Bible says we should love one another. John 13 says we should love one another. 16 times the Bible tells us to love one another. I'll give you some of the other examples. It says we should be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony, build up, accept, teach, greet, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive, be patient with, speak the truth and love to one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, submit to one another, consider others better than yourselves, look to the interests of one another, comfort one another, encourage, exhort, stir up one another to love and good works, show hospitality to, you use your gifts for the benefit of one another, pray for one another, confess your faults, to one another. And then it tells us things that we should not do. It says, don't lie to each other. Stop judging one another. Don't become conceited and envious of one another. Don't slander one another, even people you don't know or celebrity pastors, right? Don't slander other people. Don't grumble against each other. Oh, those people over there. The Bible says, don't do this. We're supposed to love one another. And this is a command from Jesus throughout Scripture. We need to love one another. And so I'll tell people sometimes, like, you know, this is why you need to be in a life group. This is why you have to be connected to other people in a church, in relationship. You need to do this. And they'll be like, oh, you know, I mean, I don't really need to do that. I'm fine. I'm good. I don't, I don't need that. I'm fine. Well, see, I missed the part where Jesus said just ignore these commands if you feel like they don't apply to you. It's not about you just getting what you need. It's also about you helping another who is in need. This is why some people, they just want to watch a pastor online and not be a part of a church. Because then you get to benefit from the ministry of the church without ever having to, be, to, be, to become the church. You get a pastor to inspire you, but then he never has to correct you because he doesn't know you. It's easy to love a guy you just benefit from, right? It's easy to love a ministry online you don't have to sacrifice for. It's a scenario that's tempting, but it's not healthy. You can only obey Christ in community as you love one another, a lay loan. It's mutual. It's reciprocal. It's not just about, well, I don't really need that right now. No, you're supposed to provide this for other people as well, and you will benefit in the process of obeying Christ, this is one thing that I think is awesome about our church. It's a large church with small groups. It's just my opinion. This isn't in the Bible. It's just my opinion. I don't think there's anything better than that scenario, than being in a large church with small groups at the same time. Uh, that's why we have life groups. In a large church, you get the benefit of being a part of something that makes a big impact. You can accomplish more. There's strength in numbers. It's more fun to worship with 500 people than with five people. Amen. I love in our church, we have awesome worship and kids ministry and make a regional impact. 
There's so many opportunities to serve. But then in life groups, in these small groups, you can find relational intimacy that's hard to find in a large group. You can have closeness and conversation and be known. If you only go to the large group and skip the life group, you miss out on a lot of the benefits of being connected to church. And this is what really irritates me and frustrates me. I'll hear people who leave a church and they'll say, well, we left because we couldn't get connected. Couldn't, we couldn't make any friends. We didn't have any friends. And here's what a lot of people do. Here's what a lot of people do. They come to church five minutes late and they sit in their seat and they look mean and they leave as soon as church is over and then they say, well, I couldn't get connected. Couldn't, I couldn't make any friends. The reason you don't have any friends, some of you, is because you're not friendly. <laughs> Hear me on this. It's your responsibility to get connected. It's not the church's job to assign you friends. That would be weird and kind of culty, right? <laughs> what you actually need to do is you need to come to church early as much as possible. Then you can get situated. You can float around. You can talk to other people. Who, who will I talk to? I don't know anyone. Okay, here's what you do. You walk up to someone. You say, hi, my name is Ryan. What's your name? How long have you been coming to church here? Where are you from? Where do you work? Do you have family? And you engage in conversation. What are you doing after church today? Do you want to go to lunch? Can I sit with you guys? You're like, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. That would be crazy. But what you, what you want, what you're hoping is that someone else will do that for you. You're hoping that someone else will do the thing for you that you're not willing to do. You've got to step out and remember you're among God's children. You're among family. You just have to meet them. If you want to be, if you want to have friends, you've got to be friendly. It just, it, it takes time. Just real talk, okay? It takes time. You can't just walk into church and then walk out with BFFs. It takes months. It takes years to make real friends, you can't expect to just go to life group one time and then walk away with a bunch of best friends. It's going to take some time. You know, years ago, 2016, I joined this cohort for pastors, young lead pastors, and uh, there were some great guys in the group. And I was in a season then when I felt lonely and I needed those kind of relationships, but I had a lot of the same insecurities that I think some of you guys feel too. It was like, well, are they going to like me? Are they going to accept me? And so it caused me to have a little bit of a wall up, you know, and, and honestly, I went to the first gathering, and when I went home, I told Amy, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to go back. This is what a lot of you guys do when you come to a church, right? You're like, oh, I didn't really, I didn't really feel connected. I'm just going to leave. I don't know anyone. I'm just going to go home because this is awkward, right? I was like, I don't think I'm going to go back. Well, she encouraged me to go back. God gave me the perfect wife, right? She encouraged, she was right. You got you to listen to the Holy Spirit. You got to listen to your wife. She encouraged me to go back. And some of the guys in this group ended up becoming my closest friends. Now we talk every day, five years later, and it didn't happen overnight. The relationship grew over time. We got to get realistic about the work that goes into building relationships. Uh, just practically, there are really, I would say, two ways to get plugged into a church. You need to be a part of a life group. That's the best way. 
Or sometimes it'll work if you serve on a team, if you serve just in a really, really t- a connected, tight-knit team or in a ministry where you spend a lot of time together. Those can both work. Ideally, I like when people serve and they're in a life group. Um, but to really get connected, you've got to do these things. It's really what is best for you. This is the best way to fulfill all the one another commands of the Bible, to be a part of the large group and a life group. You need both. And, and some of you are like, well, I'm afraid it'll be awkward. But you should be more afraid of doing your life alone, living life alone. Some of you think, you know, I'm too busy for that. You're never too busy to obey Jesus. Some of you think, I have too much going on in my life. But listen, like, if you don't take care of your soul, eventually the stuff that's filling up your life will ruin your life. If you just come to church and you sit here and you leave without getting connected to other people, you're missing out. And other people are missing out on you. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. As the great theologian Mr. T says, I pity the fool who has no one to help him up. I pity the fool who goes to church but never gets connected to church. It's for your own best interest to be connected. I'm going to close with this. In 2 Timothy 4.16, the Apostle Paul, he was getting drugged before a court. Uh, he was dealing with legal issues and persecution. And he said, uh, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Here's the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest leader in the history of the church, and he is going through a lonely season. I'm being persecuted. I'm being drugged to court for preaching the gospel, and everyone has abandoned me. You know, I can just imagine all, all the Apostle Paul, like his friends, you know, like, oh, you, you want me to go to court with you? Ooh, uh, I actually was planning on plowing my field that day. I don't think I can make, oh, it's actually next week? Oh, see, I actually committed to my nephew's bar mitzvah next week. I can't, I can't make it. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's like, everyone abandoned me. I'm alone. I'm going through this tragedy alone. But look what he says. Jesus stood by me. When other people abandoned me, Jesus was there and he strengthened me. Jesus is your ride or die. Jesus is the one who will never leave your side. He will always be by you. The Holy Spirit is always available to comfort you. The Father is always holding on to you. You're not alone. Remember this. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. If you're here and you say, man, I need to have a relationship with God, and you recognize that you're separated from him today by sin, and you've never accepted Jesus into your life, you've never accepted him as your Lord or Savior, you're not saved just because you go to church. You actually have to accept Jesus and believe in him and accept him as your Lord and Savior. Otherwise, our sin makes us guilty, it separates us from God, and it leads us to an eternity in hell away from God. The only way out of that scenario is to accept Jesus Christ fully as the Son of God and believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again. And here's what's going on. Jesus is offering every single person relationship and salvation, forgiveness, and unfailing love. And so many people, they go their whole lives rejecting God's offer of relationship and salvation and forgiveness and love And they spend their whole lives lonely, 
burdened by guilt and destined for eternal punishment. Why? All we've got to do is open up our heart and submit ourselves to God and surrender our lives to him and trust him to take care of everything else. If that's you today and you say, I want to do that, pray with me right now. Just repeat this prayer after me. It's not a magic prayer, but it's just meant to help you express what's in your heart. Just pray, God, I need you. I ask for your forgiveness. I have sinned, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm trusting in Jesus today to save me, to wash my sins away, and to lead me into eternal life. I thank you for your unfailing love, God, and I put all my hope in you. In Jesus' name.